As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Gravity Leadership Podcast listeners, welcome back to another episode of your sixth to ninth favorite podcast, the Gravity I was Leadership say your Podcast. Favorite. I was oh, gonna, well, <laughs> let's just assume it's their favorite. Right. This is the one they click on first. They're like, if they could, another If episode. we could just make some people's top 10, I'd be happy. Yeah, I can put that, you know, put that aim, in my obituary. Aim low, in a few so you're years. not uh, <laughs> aim low, so you're not disappointed. Is that, yes, uh, this is part of the strategy here. My life yeah. motto: mm-hmm. expect disappointment, mm-hmm. so you're pleasantly surprised when you're not disappointed. <laughs> pleasantly not disappointed. I think is even even more. <laughs> um, joined by Ben, Christy. Hey y'all. Hello. Hey hey. Christy uh, is got big plans this weekend. Why don't you tell our listeners what you are doing? I am so excited. We, um, I'm leading a winter camp um, up in Winter Park, Colorado with um, middle school, high school kids. And um, awesome. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to be great. It's um, lots of snow up there. There's going to be skiing and bro- or not skiing, um, hockey, broom ball, sledding, oh. Jesus. Um, broom ball. You know, all yeah. the fun things in the snow, yeah. but Gosh. not skiing, which, you know. That's fun, but 
I don't want to take 64 kids skiing. That seems yeah. like a nightmare. That is an, that is an insurance <laughs> claim waiting to happen. That's a bit much. Christy, what's the, so, uh, what's the theme? What's the, what's the big idea? What's the thing you want your kids to come back home with? Yeah, we're actually going through a specific verse, which I've never done a retreat this way. Normally mm. it's been like a story, but um, I'm going through a verse and just kind of like every session that we're having, kind of picking it apart and studying it. And it comes from mm. Isaiah. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. We're doing a special thing called worship response stations, which is like we're giving the kids like an hour. And I've set up all of these different responsive stations where they go through on their own. Um because I think I've talked on here, like I'm not the Holy Spirit in the kids' lives. The Holy yeah. Spirit gets to do what the Holy Spirit does. And so yeah. really kind of creating some space for that and um, and mm. expectant, looking forward to what God's going to do in and through it. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's that's me. But you guys are doing something very different than a winter camp. What are you guys doing? <sighs> no, but maybe we should try this winter camp idea with the people we're going to be with. Ben. I, I'm uh, I'm just remembering that I have I have really good memories as a kid. Of going to, um, we went. We it wasn't exactly winter camp. It was like it was like a well. I guess it was. It was like a family camp up in the Boundary Waters of Minnesota. Okay. And we we went there. I think it was like two or three winters. We went up there and just as a family with some other families from our church. Um, and I have a lot of really good sort of they sort of feel vague memories to me, but they're really good mm. memories mm. of like like. Just being, you know, going out and do some cross country skiing for a couple hours in the morning, and then you come back and have some hot cocoa by the yeah. big fire at the lodge, yep. and I don't know yep. something about something about uh, something about winter that uh, makes me, making me feel nostalgic hmm. today. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I just all right. I just thought I'd say that. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm glad you did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Ben, uh, you want yeah, to tell them what we're, we're, we're doing do today? Um. Or yes. this weekend. This weekend, oh yeah, we we have a retreat this weekend um, for a local church uh, that Matt and I are um, a Lenten retreat for a local church. And when we say this weekend, we mean this past weekend. Uh, by the time that you're listening to this, it's listeners, true. but um, be but yeah, ball? it's it'll yeah we're ha- we're planning broom ball. We're planning uh, lots of games. No, it's uh, pr- probably some uh, mostly adults uh, at this retreat. Uh, but yeah, just doing a retreat on learning to love like Jesus um, using one mm-hmm. of our kind of one of our tools from our training and for a local church here. So looking forward to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I actually am curious, Christy, you didn't say which verse from Isaiah. Yeah. That you're, a it's, it's a big that book. you're using. Can I, can I make a guess? You told, you know me, you should know this. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Go ahead. Guess. I, I said I, Isaiah already. You did. I don't actually don't, I actually don't know. Okay, it's Isaiah 26, 8, and it says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait for your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Mm. And um, yeah, doing four different sessions of teaching and kind of picking that verse apart. Actually, it's a team of teachers. I'm only teaching once, and um, our team is teaching the other times. And um, But I am expectant. I really am, and hmm. kind of diving into this verse myself, and the encouragement that's come. So, that's good. yeah, that's, that's great. Awesome. That's really good. Yeah. I, I wish I could be there. I wish you could be my youth pastor. <laughs> I wish I could go to winter camp with Christy. I know. Come I wish on, I could. we should do a adult winter camp. 
Man, oh maybe if our goodness. listeners just like write in and say, "Hey, we want we want a gravity winter that? camp next year." Wouldn't gravity that be amazing? Winter camp in Colorado. Oh my gosh, it'd be so fun! Oh my goodness, I will plan it. I'll do all the details. You guys can mm. come. We can all teach. It'd be so fun. Uh, that actually sounds really good. Yeah. Yep, I I love events. I love attending Me- events. I love being part of a well-run event. I yes. am really terrible at planning events. So I love you, planning events. I know you do. We've talked about this. So <laughs> I, I think. But we're, they would probably have to play broomball, so you have to be up for that. I don't know. I, yeah. I think a broomball sounds fun. So yeah, I know. I'm in. So well, Christy, if I could just—I mean, you're a much better youth pastor than I am. But if uh, you get halfway through the weekend, Isaiah 26 eight isn't doing the work you think it should be doing. You can always pivot to Isaiah 57 four. You know, Are you gonna read maybe it even for if me? you have a little, you know, some relational issues, some behavioral problems? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know everybody's favorite. Uh, who are you mocking? At whom do you <laughs> sneer and stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? <laughs> That's something I wanted to say for... to youth groups sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Twelfth graders, you can you include know, verse just... three as well. you can include verse three as well. But come here, you sons of a sorceress, you offspring of adulterers and whores. <laughs> And then it continues. Okay, no. Who burn with lust among the oaks, every luxuriant tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks? Look, there's a lot of interesting verses in Isaiah. And I feel like you picked maybe one of the most boring. Ah, Yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be good for kids. Do not invite Matt to your middle school. I am available to speak at all youth events. They'll go home oh, crying gosh. and terrified nightmares. Oh, gosh. Oh, my goodness. Well, what did he no. say? I don't know. It was from Isaiah. <laughs> the book is scary. This is not the introduction that Sheila and Sarah deserve, but it's the <laughs> one they get. Uh, no, to, no, Sheila and Sarah, um, we had a conversation about purity culture and Christian marriage and some of the things that they are helping us unwind and unlearn and detangle. Um, they have done so much good work. Sheila's done some great research. Sarah is doing some incredible work. There were moments in this podcast that I felt like I wanted a class on, like I just wanted to sort of pause the recording and have them teach more. But anyway, I'm excited for everybody to listen, for everybody to get into it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's get into it. Welcome to the Gravity Podcast. It's a special Gravity Commons live podcast today. We're joined by our Commons members and uh, also Christy Penley. Hello. Hey, hey. Christy Penley is a Commons member. She's not only a member, but she's also a co-host. Uh, and Pen- Ben Sternke. Hey, same, same. Ben, ben you're looking uh, clean. You're looking clean and refreshed. Yeah. I uh, no, I normally shave my shave my head on Fridays, but I did not get a chance to do so today. Oh, There's tons of snow in the uh, driveway that I needed. To <laughs> yes, shovel it out for work. So yes, yeah. Well, maybe later. Maybe once we're finished here, Ben, you can have some Ben time and uh, <laughs> shave the head. Um, did, did the did the fuzz help protect you from the snow? Yeah, the I thought that was a little bit. A little warm. Probably slightly warmer this one morning, degree so. warmer for the fuzz. <laughs> it was helpful. <laughs> That that voice you heard is one of our guests today, Sarah McDougal. 
joins us and Sheila Gregoire join us. We're talking today about two ways Christian sex and marriage advice can be harmful and what we can do about it. Uh, Sarah McDougall uh, is the author, uh, is an author, abuse recovery coach, and a co-founder of Wilderness to Wild, which is an online platform that provides coaching courses and resources for women recovering from trauma in 45 countries, 45 different countries. Uh, she has a master's degree in international development from Andrews University and has developed a mobile app with uh, tools called Trauma Mamas. We're going to talk a little bit about that app later. And she's published several books, including um, Safe Churches, Responding to Abuse in Faith Communities, um, and uh, Abuse Advocacy, a quick visual guide. Sheila uh, joins us again on the podcast. Sheila Gregoire is the face behind tolovehonorandvacuum.com. That is one of my favorite website uh, addresses, by the way, tolovehonorandvacuum.com. It's the largest single blogger marriage blog in the universe, as far as we know, in the universe. She's also an award-winning author of nine books, including The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and her latest book, The Great Sex Rescue, also The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, which we'll chat about a little <laughs> more today. She's got a master's in public administration, a master's of arts and sociology, both from Queen's University. Uh, she lives in Bellevue, Ontario with her husband. They have two grown daughters and a granddaughter, and she likes board games. <laughs> Sheila and Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can I ask, what's your favorite board game, Sheila? Oh, gosh. Okay. My husband's a birder and we just got Wingspan two years ago. I don't know if anyone's played that, but yes. it is awesome. Especially the year. Okay. The game. Australian expansion is awesome. The European expansion oh. is terrible. Just <laughs> letting y'all know. Wow. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. Yep. And here's a here's a, here's another pro thing. I start I I did Wordle for the very first time today. Are y'all proud of me? Ooh. I love Wordle. <laughs> Don't tell me what it is because I haven't done it yet today. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Yeah, awesome. We're a big board game family, and I see some of our commons members here who also like board games. That's why I thought I'd ask. Mm -hmm. um, so Sarah and Sheila, you both uh, do work independently of each other that overlaps a great deal, that has a lot to offer, I think, the church, uh, men and women, on how to get our minds around uh, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian who's uh, married, what it means to be a Christian who's in relationships with uh, people of uh, the opposite sex, and also how to live uh, with healthy relationships. So um, I'm going to name the two ways up front, and then we'll just pick one and, and dive in. Sound good? Um, the two ways that we that Christian marriage and sex advice can be harmful is, one, we often, we often baptize abusive ways of relating as good. And two, we, we don't know what to do with our bodies and sex. Um, let's start with abusive ways of relating. Um, I know, I know that you've developed this app called trauma mama, Sarah, maybe you can start and just tell us a bit about how your ministry, how your work with women coming out of abusive relationships, how that started. How that started. Oh my goodness. You like to just pack a punch with a loaded question right out the gate. Don't yeah. you? Yeah. Um, so I was a pastor's wife for 13 years while living in a domestic violence and abusive relationship. And um, it, after over a decade of that, uh, my life blew up and I started over with two little kids, no job, 
and no home. And I have definitely been through the trauma mama journey, sleeping on friends' basement floors on a mat with my kids and trying to figure out how to rebuild and how to get a job because we don't understand when we're living in the typical, uh, you grow up, maybe go to college, get married, start, get an apartment, start a family. Um, we're very far removed in those circles, especially in the church from the series of obstacles that an abusive, an abuse survivor faces. First of all, we don't understand the belief systems that get us there. That's <laughs> part of the deeper dive conversation we're going to get into. Yeah. But second, we, we simply don't understand the series of obstacles that make it almost impossible for an abuse survivor to leave. And on the face of it, when you're in the middle of that situation, I mean, first of all, you have to decide that it's bad enough or something bad enough has to happen that the fear of staying in that situation is greater than the fear of starting over. And those are really big fears for mamas with little kids. Mm. Um, they're big fears for mamas with older kids too. But when you've got little kids that cannot survive on their own and you can't, you can't know what's going to happen to them if they're out of your sight and you don't have a job and you're not independently wealthy, how do you get a job? when you don't have anyone to watch your kids so that you can go to a job interview, yeah. but you can't get daycare to get a job if you don't have a job to pay for daycare and you can't get an <laughs> apartment without pay stubs, but you can't get a job without daycare, but you can't pay for daycare without a job and you have no place to live until you have a job that can pay for the place to live, but you can't get a job until somebody can watch your kids. I mean, it's a snake eating its own tail, right? Yes. And that feels absolutely overwhelming for women who are trying to start over and protect their children from harm. When we add a layer on top of that, where the majority of people in your life are telling you that this is probably your fault. If you would have shut up, had dinner ready on time, given him mm. more sex, been more forgiving, prayed a little more, made sure your kids didn't make noise when he came home grumpy from work. He probably wouldn't have gotten slammed into a wall. Your child wouldn't have gotten sexually molested. He wouldn't have gotten addicted to porn. He never would have cheated. You wouldn't have been the recipient of this stuff. And really now that you're leaving and you're seeking safety, you're letting God down. I yeah. mean, such a Jezebel. Why are you doing this? And on top of that, like Focus on the Family released another article today uh, about how divorce harms kids. And there's going to be people who are telling you, if you leave this dangerous environment to try to seek safety, your kids will probably never do well in school. They'll probably grow up to be promiscuous. You're probably going to doom them to a life without salvation. And mama, it's all your fault. Mm -hmm. Shame on you for trying to leave. Mm -hmm. So in the faith community, we have these multiple added layers that make it 10 times harder for women to seek safety, even when they're living in horrific abuse. And just to complicate it one more level, because of how we teach relationships in the faith community by and large, it becomes far more difficult for women to even realize they are living in abuse unless they've gotten thrown into the sheetrock. Yes. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's mm -hmm. a good, that's, gosh, there's so much there, Sarah. 
Um, you asked the question, yeah. I did. I, <laughs> and I this, only answered like part of it. I know, I know. <laughs> and 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 you talked about sort of what what maybe in our culture, I don't even want to say most people, many people would just say, yes, that's abuse, being shoved into a wall or mm-hmm. um, your partner committing adultery or or those kinds of things. Actually, like, you know, no. No, most people don't think that's abuse. They many, just, that many. Can we you say didn't many? put out many enough? People? No, no. I would say oh, many gosh. people. The oh. majority of people would not put active adultery in the category of abuse. Okay, some outside some of the people, trauma community. Some people, a few, mm-hmm. a few people. Okay. And and on the other hand, there's those who would also tell you if you got slammed into the wall or he put his hands around your throat and strangled you, which is actually attempted homicide and a crime. Not just low-grade abuse, but there are pastors who tell women in those situations, hey, I mean, Jesus said that he suffered on this earth and we're going to suffer too. And it's your, I mean, if you meet Jesus early because of your husband, then you should feel that's actually, that's actually what Emerson Eggert said. Like Emerson Eggert's um, father actually did strangle his mother. Um, And when there is an attempted strangulation, the rate of homicide increases sevenfold. And he tells that story as part of the normal crazy cycle in marriage. But it was his mom's fault. Yeah. Um, And that she needed to learn to respect her husband. And eventually she did. Yeah. Like he admits it was abuse, but then he gives that example without then warning people if you're being strangled, you need to call a domestic violence hotline. He just he just throws that story in there as when he's describing the crazy cycle in marriage. Yes. Well, Sarah, thank you for calling me on my clumsy language. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. No, like. <laughs> no I think I think it, I think we need to do it. I'm telling you that I appreciate you doing it. I think we need to do it. I think my perception is, of course, of course, everyone who's joining us from the commons would be horrified by a woman being physically uh, pushed or punched or shoved into a wall or strangled, of course. And it's really good for you to disabuse me of that notion publicly because it's, it's not, I think you're right. I think it's not true. I think we have these habits of speech we actually have commitments, I think, to unhealthy ways of relating that have to do with power and submission mm-hmm. and authority, where we end up justifying these things and blaming women for harm that they incur. And I think that one of the one of the habits, cultural habits that keeps that from being exposed is by when I, when, when a man says many people get this, no one corrects him. So I just thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Sheila, maybe could you talk a little bit about these, um, you know, gender roles is a big thing in Christian Mm -hmm. marriage and what men are supposed to do, what women are supposed to do and how power is carried or not carried. And I think it plays into these dynamics that Sarah's talking about. Could you talk about that for a bit? Yeah. So, so my background is we've just finished um, several huge surveys of um, both men and women to look at how evangelical teachings have affected marital and sexual satisfaction. Um, And what we found is that a lot of these teachings, which, which have men in power over women have very, very disastrous outcomes for the marriage. So just as an example, if you believe that the husband should make the final decision in the marriage, even if he consults with his wife first, which is quite a typical 
belief, right? He's the tiebreaker. He's the spiritual authority. So he has to make the final decision. If you believe that it doesn't do a lot of harm, but most people who believe it don't practice it. And as soon as you practice it, the divorce rate goes up 7.4 times. <laughs> wow. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What? So, so this is a doctrine which only works if you don't put it into practice. Right. And the majority and 80% of people who believe it don't practice it. And yeah. so and. your pastors out there are <laughs> preaching it. They're not yeah. practicing it, but 20% of the couples who listen to that pastor, it's going to have disastrous effects. Yeah. So you just said biblical marriage leads to divorce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if we think that's what the Bible's saying. But you know, and this is what, and this is what um is commonly taught. Let, let me just give you two really recent examples of how um in our evangelical culture we're looking at this power dynamic all wrong. And the first one comes from the Gospel Coalition. They put out a reel on Instagram a couple of weeks ago with Ligon Duncan where he said, um, you know, guys, women, if you want your husbands to do risky things for Christ in your family, you need to show them respect. So you, you respecting them is the key to your husband not being passive. So if you, if you want him to do risky things, like taking the initiative to get the kids to church on Sunday, like reading his Bible, like living out the Christian life, you need to respect him. So they just said, if you want your husband to do the basic minimum of a Christian life, you need to respect him. And if he's not doing the basic minimum, it's your fault because you're not respecting him. Yeah. It's like when, what, what, what kind of insecure little snowflakes are we <laughs> that we think that? Yes. Yeah. Reading your Bible and living out a Christian life is risky. Yeah. In the United States. Like, and yes. so that's, that's exhibit one. Did Sarah want to say something? Well, I'll let you go. I'll, I'm going to say exhibit two now, <laughs> and then Sarah can jump in. Exhibit two, Ed Young, who's a mega church pastor, um, fellowship church. Last Sunday, he did a sermon on sex. And leading up to that sermon, he did this one minute. Instagram video where he said, you need to understand a man's sex drive. And here's a great analogy. There's a woman who's bedridden. She can't get out of bed. And she asks her husband for a cup of water. And he says, no. And he keeps saying no. And she gets more and more desperate and angry. And he says, well, if you're going to talk to me like that, I'm not going to get it for you. And then finally he gets it for you and he shoves it in her face. And he says, here, take it if you want it. And he said, women, that's what you're doing to the men when you don't have sex. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, I have a stomach ache now. <laughs> now, this is this is a mega church pastor. And there are so many things I could say about that. <laughs> so very, very many. <laughs> but, you know, people die in three days without water. <laughs> Nobody's right. ever died of lack of sex. Oh, and, but Dobson but, said that you will die of in 72 yes, hours if you don't. Yes, that 72-hour rule, we actually traced it back. It's it's heavily taught in evangelical circles in every man's battle in sheet music yes. and however praying wife, the 72-hour rule, you have to give him sex every 72 hours. It's not in the medical literature. James Dobson made it up in 1977. But anyway, um, the bigger point is if you look at that carefully, if you really dissect that, there's so many things wrong with what Ed Young said. But one of the big things is he's comparing women 
to water. It's, it's objectifying. It's all about what she can give him and how she can be used. And that's the bigger problem in the evangelical church is we don't actually see women as people. We see them as appendages for men. What can she do to Mm. make his life easier? And he has been put on this. She has been put on this earth to make his life easier and to serve him. And she herself doesn't matter to the same degree. Yeah. So Christy and Ben, I want you to be able to get in here, but astute listeners and uh, most of our listeners are exceedingly astute will uh, recognize that this is a theological crisis. So the yes. way that the way that we're married and the way that we embody uh, our gender and our sex together, the way that we carry power, reveals that we have a deficient uh, anthropology. <laughs> we have, we have a deficient like we we just we we are deficient in terms of how we see usually women and obviously this stuff is toxic for men too. Uh, but women, women actually pay for it. They feel it, and it it's awful. So I'm, that's one of the things that's striking me. And I, I want to jump in on actually both of the things that you said, Sheila, but particularly that first one. The whole idea that if you need, you know, if you want your husband as a woman, if you if you want your husband to perform at the baseline minimum of having a relationship with God and being involved and engaged as a partner in the home, that you need to give him respect for things he's not doing so that he feels good about himself, which is actually an egotistical boost that is not earned. It's kind of like feeling like you can go bench press 450 pounds after you've played a workout game on the Wii. Like so because it went really well on the Wii, yeah. you think you can go do it in real life. Mm-hmm. You guys are dying. I, I'm glad that hit home. Um, <laughs> but it, really applying that kind of video game confidence yeah. in virtual reality to the marriage, it's also an inside out of the same male headship message that the people who preach that the loudest also teach. So we tend to, let, let me back up from that and explain what I mean. We, we tend to hear the whole husband is a spiritual head, the loudest from places like the gospel coalition and, and places where it's a very conservative male dominated men need to be in charge and do all the things kind of the, those circles. But they're also the ones who tend to preach the loudest that women should go home and give this unconditional respect, right? So, which basically means that they're saying, go home, forgive more, pray harder, give him unconditional respect, um, submit more, lay down your life like Christ laid down his life for the church. In other words, wives, go home and live out spiritual headship over your husband by praying for him and forgiving him and modeling the laying down of your life as Christ laid down his life for the church so that he can be in charge of everything and have an ego boost so that he can be named your spiritual head. But the things they're telling women to do in these scenarios is what Paul told men to do. Right. And it's the, 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 the teaching is weighted very with a, with a huge imbalance, but then the application is the opposite with yeah. a huge imbalance. There's yeah. no mutually serve each other. 
Yes. Both of you should not be jerks and be like Jesus. I mean, right. Just don't be a jerk, be a decent human. It'll get you a long way in your relationships with other humans. But that comes back to something that I know you had wanted to, to touch base on that. And that is this pornified style of relating hmm. that is a term coined by a friend of Sheila's and mine, Andrew Bauman. I don't know if you followed his stuff or ever had him on the podcast, but um one of the things that, that I know we've talked about so much off the podcast and Sheila and I were having a conversation about this just the other day. And that is that this concept of male entitlement to unconditional respect that because I am male and I have higher testosterone, I have the right to have other people do things for me. And, and it's not necessarily that that's overtly stated, although in some circles it is, but it's this implicit understanding that is overwhelmingly cemented with porn addiction and different sexual types of material. But honestly, it's there oftentimes for little boys and little kids from toddlerhood on up. Susie, go get Johnny what he asked for. Instead of Johnny, if you want that, go get it. Honey, I'll make you a sandwich. I just worked a 14 hour shift and you've been at home sitting on your video game, but I came home, I'll make you a sandwich. Now I'm not saying it's not good to take care of each other or to have social graces, but it's the entitlement, the, the deserving. Yeah that it doesn't go both ways, but it's really heavily one way. And we have that in evangelical literature, like Mothers and Sons, which is another Emerson Egridge book that is like a, a parenting companion to love and respect, where he talks about how your son, he's speaking to mothers, that your son's in deserving, his, his biblical endowment as a, as a male, is to have unconditional respect. So as his mother, this could be your six-year-old that you're talking to, your 10-year-old son, as his mother, you need to speak to him, telling him that you respect him, that you, that you admire him. He needs this unconditional respect from you as his parent, because you are female and he is male, instead yeah. of realizing that he's under your parental authority as a child under a parent. Yeah. And that, that probably is the number one book the Focus on the Family recommends is teaching mothers to respect their sons. Mm. Hi, my name is Michelle Arndt and I'm a church planter and pastor in rural Wisconsin near the outer edges of the Twin Cities. Recently, I reflected on my time in the Gravity Cohort five years ago and the way it opened up space in me to see how for much of my Christian life, my words and works remained disconnected from the ways of Jesus because I lacked the ability to name my actual desires and how they played out in my real world. Gravity gave me the tools to excavate things like the way hidden desires for power and popularity prevent me from loving others well. It taught me the language of noticing through Kairos moments in everyday life that are far better at telling the truth about what I actually believe about Jesus and myself than 10 Bible studies ever could. Gravity is not about information, it's about transformation. I continue to reach regularly for the things that I've learned in gravity in my everyday life and relationships as a person and a pastor. 
Those who know me best have heard me say repeatedly, gravity has been the single most transformative spiritual experience I've had thus far in my life as a follower of Jesus. If you want to clear the clutter of Christian ideas and move into living in the ways of Jesus, gravity is for you. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. I like the, just the irony you're pointing out here that like the advice that's given and most of the time, nobody bats an eye at this advice. I apologize. It's my dog. She's uh, just giving you an amen. She doesn't like the advice. That's right. Somebody actually delivering, uh, daring to walk through the snow to deliver a package here. So hopefully it's not too loud. Um, so the, um, lost my train of thought now. Oh, the irony irony of this, right? Is that in any other context, if you were to say that this, this is a a person who needs all of this uh, respect, all of these things need to be, need to happen for this person in order for them to do the the basics of responsibility. Right. We would look at that and say like that, that's a spoiled brat. You know, that's a a little kid who needs, you know, to embrace some responsibility, but yet somehow in the context of so-called, you know, Christian marriage, it's seen as uh, obvious or something not to be questioned. All right. My dog is just going for it. So anyway, good time. Good timing, Edith. Well, well done. Yeah. So I wonder if we could say more about this pornographic style of relating, because I think it, what it, it, um, it's kind of a new concept, but it's, um, we live in a pornographic culture and I, I think there's ways that it just sort of becomes natural or assumed or ordinary rather than things we need to recognize and hold under the light of the gospel and interrogate. So could you, I don't know, both of you maybe talk about this a little more. How does this show up in not only just our notions of manhood, but also in Christian marriage? Yeah. So we've just finished a a large survey of men and, um, and that's coming up with the good guys guide to great sex in March. Um, but one of the things we found is that the pornified style of relating isn't necessarily related just to porn use. Okay. So you can have a pornified style of relating without watching porn. Now, now it's heavily correlated, but a pornified style of relating basically says women exist for me to objectify and use for my sexual gratification. They are objects. I don't see them as whole people. I see them as body parts. And even outside of the sexual realm, the pornified style of relating says, I see you as something to consume or to use. So you are there for my benefit, whether it's my sexual benefit or my go get me a sandwich benefit, right? Like you are there for my benefit. So, so I get to use you. Um, And this is something which is heavily taught in Christian circles, like the, the best-selling book series, Every Man's Battle, huge numbers. I think it sold like 4 million copies, that, that book series. Um, they say that the reason that men sin, we got there naturally simply by being male. And in Every Heart Restored, they say men just don't naturally have that Christian view of sex. What they essentially do is they equate, they equate the objectification of women with male sexuality. And in a more recent book, in a more recent book, Gary Thomas just wrote um, a book called Married Sex, which was out in October. And he had that same idea. He, he quoted uh, discredited neuroscientists scientist who said that um, all men have sexual thoughts flickering through their brains at all times, and they're always at the ready to seize a sexual opportunity. And let's just think about the theology of that for a minute. 
if we believe that part of being male is that you are always at the ready to seize a sexual opportunity, then we believe Jesus must have been because he was fully male. <laughs> and I do not believe that that describes Jesus because, uh, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't see women as sexual objects to be consumed. He wasn't walking around ready to seize a sexual opportunity. He was able to look at women and long to truly know them. And one of my favorite sentences that he ever said was, um, when the woman was anointing his feet with oil, he turned to the Pharisees and he said, did you, do you see this woman? And that's what Jesus is telling the church do you see this woman? You know, every man's battle tells men that the way to live a Christian life is not to look at women. Right. They literally say, think about your enemies, name your enemies. If you're going to defeat lust, you need to name your enemies. And among those enemies is female joggers. So they call women their enemy. And they say, do not look at them, bounce your eyes, do not look at women. If you go into a, a, an office and there's a receptionist, turn your, away from her, do not look at her. And Jesus says, do you see this woman? Yeah, this is powerful because I think, I think most, uh, most of our listeners have some interaction with purity culture, the resources you're talking about. It, it kind of lives in the Christian waters we swim in in the West. And the, the problem we have is our only positive move for most of us is just to try to stay away from that. Mm -hmm. But trying to stay away from bad things doesn't automatically lead you to good things, right? Um, and so I wonder if we could maybe pivot towards holding out. What, what can you share for us, like a post-purity culture Christianity? that mm -hmm. takes the body seriously, that takes uh, our desire seriously, and takes the value and honesty and dignity and worth of women seriously. Like, can you begin to, to fill that out for us? I, I think I'll let Sarah jump in in a minute, but I think the key thing, and, and it isn't just our research that found this. If you look at um, peer-reviewed research in the literature, the best way to fight lust, to stop objectifying women is to learn to see women as whole people. And they've done a variety of different experiments on, on how we can help men focus on, on whole people and see women as whole people. And incidentally, women tend to objectify other women as well. We tend to see women as, as a bunch of body parts, much more so than we do men. Um, and so learning how to see women as whole people is the key. And the key to that is learning to respect women. But how can we respect women in a church culture, which says the only thing women are good for is serving in the kitchen and serving in the nursery? <sighs> because then they're still just servants. And so we need mm. to recognize that the gifts that were given by the Holy Spirit were given to both men and women, <laughs> and that women have something to offer, and we can't just keep their voices quiet. I don't think that we're going to fix a lot of the problems in the evangelical church until we start remembering that women have voices and we need to listen. Not just do you see this woman, but do you hear this woman? Um, and the key to do it, so the key to fighting lust, I believe, is to learn to respect women. Here's a really quick stat that I find fascinating from our survey. Um, we So every man's battle. All men struggle with lust. This is what we're told. So we asked, 
75% of men do agree they struggle with lust on a daily basis. So it's a lot, but it's not every man, 75%. But when we drill down, there is a large minority of them who do not watch porn, who do not lust in any circumstance that we gave them any opportunity, who do not have intrusive thoughts of women going through their heads at all. And we think what's going on is that in the evangelical church, we have so conflated noticing a woman with lusting that a lot of men think they're lusting when they're not. And imagine the shame that we are heaping on teenage boys and the burdens that we're putting on teenage boys because we haven't been able to distinguish noticing and lusting. Yes. Yes. And even noticing beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's possible mm-hmm. to recognize beauty and not lust. And not want to yeah. colonize it. And not, yeah, yeah. not want to use that. Not take it for yourself, beauty. not devour it. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I have a, a 12-year-old son who um, is extraordinarily bright and happens to be um, incredibly articulate about the things he thinks, like he has zero filter. He's on the autism spectrum. He has absolutely no filter whatsoever. And he comes and plops down beside me and asks me the most intrusive personal question (laughs) from point of like physical and genitalia and sexuality and girls and crushes. And I mean, he just lays it all out there. And I think it's absolutely fabulous because we have all of these conversations that a generation ago, nobody would have ever had. And One of the things that I keep talking to him about is that God created sexuality as this incredible, beautiful thing. There is no shame or dirtiness tied to sexuality. There's simply how the the context of how we treat people when we engage in sexuality in safe circumstances, in holy circumstances, in sacred intimacy when it's as beautiful as it was created to be. And there's the fact that when you notice a really pretty girl, what do you see? Are you just looking at the thing that caught your eye or are you teaching yourself? Hey, I noticed that really pretty girl. I want to get to know how her brain works. She has an amazing laugh. What made her laugh? Are you seeing her as a person who is equally as interesting made in the image of God as you are? All the thoughts you have, she has thoughts. All the interests and likes and dislikes that you have, so does she. They're her own. They're not the same as yours. But you can be the kind of guy who, if you saw a woman hovering or like huddled over, like Jesus may have seen Mary You would want to come up and cover her with a blanket because you look there and you see, wow, that's an embarrassed, cold woman. She looks like she needs a hug and some warmth, not, hey, check it out. Here is a flickering option for sexual predation. I mean, that sounds like the whole sexual thoughts flickering all the time in the back of your visual cortex to seize any sexual opportunity. That's a rapist. That's a predator. Yeah, that goes back to what you said about how purity culture and rape culture are really trading on the same assumptions. Could you say more about that? Like how? Absolutely. So when we are when we are looking at this and, and we're making the value of particularly women's worth based on their body, secular promiscuity culture says that your value is on how hot and available you are. Purity culture 
says that your value is on how covered up and make sure nobody's ever touched you. But it's still all about the access of your body to someone else's gratification. Either you're off limits so effectively that you are now hot or you're on limits so completely that you are now hot. But it's still all about hotness and and sexual availability or waiting for sexual availability instead of simply seeing girls and women as equals with God. And I mean, equals in the image of God. And when we raise our girls and our boys immersed in this message, you have boys who can be growing up with an entirely pornified style of relating who've never seen porn. You don't have to be addicted to or actively watching or ever having viewed porn to view women as there to be devoured by you. I mean, we have Doug Wilson saying that Paul really said women should be the ones making the sandwiches. That's what Paul meant in Ephesians 5. You know, that is a pornified style of relating. You exist for my gratification on whatever element I decide is good for me and whether or not a man is watching porn is irrelevant in many cases to that mindset because it's saturated in what we present as biblical manhood. Yeah. Let's say male domination. Let's say that you think that lust truly is every man's battle. If it's every man's battle, then he can't be expected to get over it. And so the only way to stop him from lusting is for women to cover up. So the responsibility for men not lusting is now put on women. And what's interesting is how many girls in our surveys said that they were sexually assaulted at church, or they started to be told at 12, 13, 14, I need to cover up. My daughter, when she was 11, was told by her Sunday school teacher because she was starting to develop a chest, you need to not wear V-necks anymore so that you don't become distracting to the adult men. Like we couldn't get her to go to church for several weeks after that. But this is rape culture because then it's not a law. It's not a big step from that to say, if you are assaulted, it must be because of what you were wearing. And Shanti Felden in in her book to teenage girls, um, she did a survey which was not well done. And so I don't believe that the number I'm about to give you accurately reflects the situation on the ground. Um, But she gave a number which said 82% of boys feel little ability and little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. And so if you want to stop, it's better to not even start. Also, your job to stop because you can't. Because you can't. But can you imagine telling girls 82% of boys may not have the ability to stop? And and we we interviewed so many girls who said that they were date raped in high school, but they didn't realize it for 20 years because they felt it was their fault because they had said no repeatedly. But he kept pestering. He kept pestering. He kept pestering until he wore her down. And she didn't know what to do afterwards. But you grow up with this idea that boys can't stop themselves. And that was one of the really harmful beliefs we measured in our survey, um, that boys will push girls' sexual boundaries. And when women believe that, that has all kinds of negative repercussions once they get married later. So when, you, when you're taught that as a teenager, it hurts your marriage later. Yeah. I want to yeah. jump in on this, though, that there, there's a really important clarification that I think it's, it's crucial to make. And that is, as we 
dissect and debride and wash the infection away from the problems with purity culture, it does not automatically mean that we're saying, hey, a viable alternative is promiscuity culture (laughs) or that the actual goal is not purity. Mm-hmm. It's it's not that we're saying, hey, Philippians 4, 8 should all be thrown out. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are true, think on these things. It's that men and women are both created in the image of God equally with the baseline being pure-mindedness, pure living, and the fruit of the Spirit. But see, oftentimes we treat women as though they were not made in the image of God, but at the same time, when teaching that men are sexually predacious, virtually by being male, then we're saying it's God's fault for creating men with testosterone. Testosterone itself is evil and cannot be controlled. And therefore men have no hope, which is a a, a nullified gospel. It is, it, it's, it's a shame-filled message to men. And I think it's it's very important, obviously, to point out how harmful this is to girls and to women, because it absolutely is. But that doesn't mean that men are unscathed by it, because it leaves men feeling they can never yes. actually live in purity, because I was created by God yeah. with uncontrollable sexual urges. Yes. And I've been told that my urges are uncontrollable since I hit puberty or before. And I've been conditioned to believe that girls are the ones who have to say, no, I can't control myself. I can't be the one to stop. And whatever I do to take and seize that sexual opportunity is just the natural outflow of being male. Right. So I cannot ever actually live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the baseline. That it, so, so we lay those qualities as feminine. Women are the ones who are supposed to be peaceful. Women are the ones who are supposed to be gentle. Women are the ones who are supposed to be self-controlled and loving and joyful. Men, we, we're supposed to be John Wayne. Yeah. And anything we do wrong is really because... A woman didn't stop us. And yet women have no power, Mm. but it's really important. I think to, to make sure we point out two things. And that is that the pornified style of relating the misuse of power is very much equally damaging to men in vastly different ways. And that it is, that, that it is not, the way God created men to be. When we look at it in a very different light, what what we're doing is saying that in a, and I lost my train of thought, but this, you asked Matt for um, some kind of something with hope, like, okay, what can be good? Yeah. Some center that's, we orbit around. That's just not trying to stay away from something, but is moving towards something redemptively. And, and I want to give you that. And that is that the foundational underpinning of this is how we look at power and how we use power. Because we cannot say that power is bad. We've tried. 
We've tried to just equalize everyone so that no one has any power over anyone else. It doesn't work. Diane Langberg's powerful book called Redeeming Power. I don't know if you guys have read it. I highly recommend it. We had her on the podcast and it was great. It's fantastic. has this really incredible little segment introducing how everyone has power, even a newborn, because a newborn can get exhausted young parents out of bed every hour on the hour just by crying. A newborn has power over you if you have a conscience and you're a loving woman, but everyone has power. So it is not that we should remove power or that men should somehow feel ashamed of being most times bigger and stronger and having greater brute strength. That's not a bad thing. It's not something that we should be ashamed of if you have great intellectual power or social power or whatever. It's how we use the power as equals both created in the image of God. Because power that comes from God is always going to be used to protect and to make free the others around us. Yeah. If we are using power that God has given us in the way that God has intended it, then whatever power I have, power over my children, power over others that I may influence, power over someone who's simply physically less strong than I am, I am responsible before God to use every aspect of my power to make others fearless, free, and uncontrollable. Yeah. Rather than to act in fear because there is no fear in love, rather than to hold them in bondage because the truth came to set us free, and rather than to control them because every other human is to be controlled only by their conscience in relationship to God, not me. Mm-hmm. If we use our sexual power to make others fearless, free, and uncontrollable, if we use our biblical power, our spiritual power to protect and make others free, then we will transform this gender argument and it empowers men and women. Yes. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Sarah, because I, I think, you know, Sheila, as you were you know, talking about the messages and the, and the implications of the messages for men in particular, I was just overwhelmed with what a, what a, and you got into this Sarah as well, but like what a disempowering message, like what a fatalistic message, you know, um, that, that you really can't do anything about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I love, I love the, the basic message of hope that, well, you can, you have, it, this is just power and you can learn how to, what to do with your power. Mm-hmm. You can learn what to do with it. And you, you can take responsibility. This isn't inevitable. This isn't fate. Uh, this is cultural conditioning. And, you know, God, God will help you move out of it, move into a new, uh, better space. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm listening, it's interesting to me that I'm, I mean, I grew up in the purity culture, right. And trying to like, as I hear you guys being compassionately curious to myself of where am I seeing the lies? Where have I believed these lies in my own life? And then how are they coming out in my parenting and in my pastoring and in my friendships and in my conversations? Um, and my guess is like our listeners are probably at that same place, right? Um, where they're, where do I need to kind of see that in my own life? And then how do I like 
impact those around me to believe truth as well. Mm-hmm. And I think the good news is that people are seeing it more and, and change is honestly happening. That's, I think there's, there's just been such a sea change. I don't know if it's COVID or what, but in the last two years, I think all the conversations are happening much more. Um, and what I'm hoping, I, I love what Beth Allison Barr said, well, actually both Beth Allison Barr and Kristen Dumay in their, in their books ended them in very similar ways. You know, Kristen Dumay says what, what was done can be undone. And Beth Allison Barr asked the question, you know, what would happen if we all just stopped? And I think, I think what, what makes me the saddest as we've, we've spent the last two years reviewing the best-selling evangelical sex and marriage books, uh, both for adults and for teenagers, what makes me the most saddest is, is the stuff that rose to the top, because often the stuff that rose to the top was actually the worst. It scored the worst on our rubrics, like books like Love and Respect by Emerson Egrich literally scored 47 out of 48 or sorry, zero out of 48. Like, like it could not have scored worse on our rubric of healthy sexuality teaching. While a book like The Gift of Sex by the Penners didn't sell that well, but it's it scored 47 out of 48. Like, so it was the bad stuff that rose to the top. And that's what personally I'm having such a hard time with, because I, I think, how did people not see this? Like we're all complicit in this. There's always going to be people that are going to write bad books. There's always going to be people that are going to say stupid things. We're not going to get rid of that. But how did it become a bestseller? Like, did we all just collectively lose our minds? How did we all accept what every man's <laughs> battle said? Yeah. Did we all just, and, and I think that's the challenge going forward is recognizing really bad stuff became bestselling. And we all believed it. And then we started spreading it. And I think a lot of that happened because pastors hadn't really read these books, or if they had, they read them not very critically, you know, but you have big organizations saying, this is a great book. It's a bestseller. You need something to recommend. So you hear a lot of people talking about it. So you recommend it and it snowballs. And I hope that, that one of the things that we've learned now is that we are responsible for the bestsellers. And if we all just stop buying them, it would, they would no longer be bestsellers. Other things would be bestsellers. Like Beth Allison Barr said, we can decide just to stop. Yeah. We can decide just to stop. All right. You've convinced me, Sheila. (laughs) I'm going to stop. Not that I started ever, but I'm never going to start. (laughs) Also, also maybe point us as we wrap up here and we're going to jump into our commons live discussion because I'm sure this is uh, stirring up a lot of thoughts and questions for people. What, uh, Sheila, point us to one or two resources that you have where people who are listening and they want better books and they want better bestsellers. Like what, mm-hmm. what have you written that could help extend and further this conversation for people? Well, first of all, everybody needs to read The Great Sex Rescue. And if you don't believe me, go to Amazon right now and just read the reviews. Okay, just read the reviews (laughs) Um, because this book is setting people free. Again, it's based on our survey of 20,000 women. And we ended up looking at the evangelical bestsellers, the messages in them that have done harm and which we measured. Um, And then coming out very soon, The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex, you can pre-order it now. Um, It's out next month and it's based on our survey of men as well as the new and revised Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. So those are great resources. And then of course, just find me at the Bear Marriage Podcast. That's awesome. We talk Bear Marriage, B-A-R-E, Bear Marriage. 
Great. Sarah, for, uh, from you, what, what, what could you recommend for us? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of uh, links to articles for those who want to deep dive a little bit more into how this message really ultimately ends in an idolatry message yeah. of the idolatry of maleness instead of worshiping God. Um, but Outside of those articles, uh, I am incredibly excited about something that we are getting ready to release, and um, and it is the first of its kind in the world from all the research we've done, and it is an, a mobile app with tools and resources for mamas who are surviving trauma. Yeah. This is specifically, it's very faith familiar. Everything is based on um, scientific, all the tools and resources are evidence-based, solidly researched trauma resources, but with a faith component for those who are in the faith community as well. And it's specifically for the ones who have realized they've been living in abuse and now they are trying to figure out how to survive. And so there are monthly toolkits, weekly resource links, and it's all curated because it's absolutely daunting to figure out just how to feed your kids and get a place to live, much less where do I find healthy resources, especially when I'm getting slammed from everyone in my community yes. for taking steps to safety. Yes. So this mobile app is called this Wilds Trauma Mamas app. And um, putting it on an app creates a lot more safety and security. You're not leaving a browser history. You have it right on your phone. You can watch in between pushing your kids on a swing if you need to. And um, so making it just right there in your hands for busy, weary mamas who are trying to survive and trying to figure out what to do. So the Trauma Mamas app, I'm going to give you a link. If you are interested in and updates on that, we have a wait list. And I would absolutely encourage you to get on that wait list. We will be making it available on Google Play and App Store in English worldwide. And we have a launch team that includes Canada, US, UK, Australia, South Africa. I, I mean, just an incredible, incredible group of women. Um, and we want to make these resources for those who are trying to rebuild, for those who are trying to break these cycles as they teach their kids, for those who are seeking safety. We wanna make it as easy as possible to get the best, safest, most trustworthy resources. Yes. So definitely check out the Trauma Mom of that. Thank you, Sarah. We'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I say that and I look at Ben, like we will, won't we? This is going to happen, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll put it in the link uh, for the podcast if you're listening to this on the podcast. And also for our Commons members, um, we'll put this uh, in, the, uh, in the place where we put the, the, this recording uh, as well, nice. all of you. So, yep. Yes, uh, Sarah and Sheila, thank you so much for joining us for the recorded podcast today. And I just want to publicly recognize the, um, the cost it takes to speak about this. Yeah. in the religious subculture that you are. And it's it's exponentially magnified by being a woman saying this. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for your courage and for your faith and for your fierceness. Just that I know you come under attack. I know people uh, dismiss you, try to silence you, uh, blaspheme your name, et cetera, slander your name. Uh, but I just think, thank you that you haven't quit and you're a gift, mm -hmm. you're a gift to us. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for joining Appreciate us today. It. <laughs>
Friends, I could have talked about that for much longer. What a good conversation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it really was. We've had Sheila on twice now, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface of the stuff that she can teach us. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good. Um, I'm curious, what are you chewing on after that? What questions do you wish you could have asked that we didn't get to? Yeah. Well, one of one of them uh, was one that you had mentioned in our learning lab, Matt. I wonder if we could just reflect on that a little bit. So this was a, a sure, Gravity Commons live, um, uh, Gravity Commons live uh, podcast recording for our Gravity Commons members. And one of the other things we do for the Commons is have people join us for a learning lab at least once a month. And so our learning lab is just kind of a uh, a practical kind of um, conversation around one of the topics we talked about in our Gravity Commons Live conversations. And so we talked about this conversation in there. And Matt, you brought up some stuff about modesty that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> well, tell our listeners, tell yeah. us tell us about that conversation because it was good. It actually spurred conversation for Paul and I afterwards. I used to wear off-the-shoulder T-shirts, and I no longer do. <laughs> and no, I um, yeah, I guess we talked about my my daughter, who's ten, um, wants to wear all kinds of clothes that, like, you know, well, she wants to wear Ariana Grande's like outfits, <laughs> and uh, I find myself having to like question the scripts that I want to name to her and, and speak to her. Um, and uh, I don't want to raise my daughter um, hating her body, feeling shameful about her body, hiding her body in order to take responsibility for what other people choose to do with their bodies, and not having actually a, a positive, like, like any, in any way contributing to a lack of a body positive uh, image for herself. I'm also, through some friends who have um, been challenging me, been wrestling with the fact that most of the texts and scripture that we use to, I think, bolster the um, purity culture uh, modesty programming we do for young women, when those New Testament texts at least talk about modesty, they aren't talking about sexual purity. They're talking about affluence and wealth. So the modesty that Paul was concerned about wasn't about short skirts and plunging necklines. It was about jewelry mm-hmm. and, and lavish displays of affluence. Yeah. Um, and so, like, uh, you know, maybe just pause for a moment and think about the irony of a celebrity pastor in a pair of $800 sneakers preaching a modesty text to a bunch of women in the uh, congregation. Like, you know. Right. Uh, but beyond that, like, I I think I want... Yeah, I'm just, I'm just wrestling with, and we wrestled with in this learning lab, just mm-hmm. wanting to not inflict upon my daughter uh, shame and um, negative self-concepts that yeah. actually aren't actually don't have anything to do with uh, the teachings of the New Testament. Yes. Yeah, I I find that in that issue, I have daughters as well. And so, you know, that kind of instinct that you talk about um, dwells in me as well. And um, I I think 
in the past, I wouldn't have questioned it. I would have assumed that it was an instinct towards protecting them or an instinct, you know what I mean? Like I would have assumed it was a good instinct for me to act on. Um, and it's just interesting how much of this purity culture stuff uh, gets into our bodies, gets into our sensibilities, and just needs unwinding. You know, once you learn, for example, that modesty is about ostentatious displays of wealth, not it doesn't have anything to do with uh, how much of your body you show and you know what that causes yeah. other other people to do. Um, it's just like I don't know. It it's sort of. Uh, humbling and a little bit overwhelming honestly <laughs> to realize like man how much yeah. of this stuff lives in me that is not rooted i thought was just rooted in how things were supposed to be or the biblical biblical you know um vision of sexuality and all this stuff and it's just it's just not it's just rooted in um yeah you know in a in a different place it needs to be unwound yes so i have more I'm questions and answers yeah. yeah, I'm thankful for these Go conversations ahead. because I grew up in a in a home where like I couldn't wear jeans to church, right? I mean, like that was the like there was mm. n- no two piece bathing suit, no tank tops that had spaghetti strap. I mean, like all the things. Mm-hmm. And even as you talk, both of you, there's something inside of me that like kind of like okay, take a deep breath because <laughs> it is still in me, right? Yeah. Like it yeah. is still in me, and and. I, I don't know. I, I need friends to talk through this kind of stuff that's yeah. safe and that like, yeah. hey, I'm still questioning this or this still pops its head up and I don't know what to do with it. And yeah. I feel like the learning lab was a great place to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to like have a community of people, like have my friends be the people that I can talk about this kind of stuff with. So yeah. I appreciate the conversation because I still have lots to learn and and stuff to dig into for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Yeah. Yep. I appreciate you sharing that, doing. Christy, because I think the, um, mm-hmm. that is what we're doing uh, in the commons and trying to create that, that kind of safe space for people to have those reactions that you think, Oh shoot. Like I, I, I do need to take a deep breath here. I, I, I'm not sure if this is right or mm-hmm. if, if I should say this. Um, and we're trying our best in the commons to kind of create a, an environment where it's like, it's okay. We can, we can own what's real. Yeah. Right, and we can be vulnerable about that, and we can all learn together. Um, yes, nobody's going to get, you know, sort of shouted down for having a bad opinion. Uh, but that we right. we can we can have some grace for one another, learn from one another, uh, and grow together. Hopefully, in um, the things that God's revealing to us collectively. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Well, um, one thing, a little uh, piece of trivia, guys, before we go, that I uh, found out about this Mm -hmm. week. Um, Do you guys want to hear it? Yeah, tell us. Do you guys know which state is known for its small drinks? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Say it again. Do Do I know what state what? What state (laughs) is known for its small drinks? Is this a dad joke? No, it's a piece of trivia that I learned this week. The state that's known for its small drinks is the state that I uh, was born in and grew up in, Minnesota. You guys, every time, <laughs> every time I'm like, wait a minute, what are we talking about? Oh wait, no, it's just a joke. Okay. Minnesota. 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 Sip on that dad joke. 
Yeah. Yes. Yep. Those dad jokes, man. The eye yep. rolls, but at the least a little giggle. Good work. Yeah, the eye rolls, little giggle happens. Boom. And we're out. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see you guys next time. Great to have you on this episode, friends. And uh, if you haven't joined us in the in the commons yet, uh, go check it out. Gravityleadership.com slash commons. Mm-hmm. Hope to see you there. Hope to see you next time. Next episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Peace. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.